So we have been taking a journey through the holy history in Scripture, and holy history is God's interaction and intervention in the life of the people that he chose to bring Messiah through. Um, you might know the, the term Christ as uh, another word for Messiah. Jesus came through the people of Israel, and that's why we get to have a connection to God's people, is through Jesus. But the scripture tells us that what happened to God's people in the Old Testament, to Israel in the Old Testament, happened to them as an example for us. And it was written down for our instruction. So that's really the basis of this whole message series. And almost every message uh, for the last couple of months, several months actually, have been uh, following Israel through that holy history. And we started, we actually didn't start as far back as I would like to have. I started with Joseph, and Joseph brought his family to Egypt, and uh, Joseph was favored by Pharaoh. In fact, Joseph was elevated from prison to second in command in Egypt. And so the people were favored, and they were given this wonderful place called Goshen, where they could raise their flocks and herds and raise their families. But you know, as I've mentioned before, as happens when you become excessively dependent upon the government for your safety, your well-being, your security, and especially your provision, you become, what, enslaved to the government. And that's exactly what happened to them. So um, hundreds of years later, this family of extended family, of course, of 70 that came into Egypt was a nation of thousands and they had been made slaves to the Egyptians. So God raised up Moses, and uh, he called Moses from the burning bush, and Moses went back, and God used Moses to bring the people out of Egypt. Uh, Moses was the administrator, I guess you could say, of the 10 plagues. Uh, he warned Pharaoh over and over again. The final plague was the death of the, uh, of the firstborn, and so Pharaoh sent them out very, very quickly. But then, as he had done all along, he changed his mind, and he chased them with his chariots. But God led his people through the Sea of Reeds uh, on dry ground. The sea was held up on both sides as the people passed through on dry ground. And then, as the Egyptians tried to chase them into the sea, then uh, God brought the, the waters, again, through the administration of Moses, back over Pharaoh and his chariots, and they were drowned there. So the people were saved. They were, uh, they were separated from their masters, their captors, and they started this journey across the desert. Now, that journey ended up lasting 40 years. That wasn't God's goal. God wanted to bring them to the mountain called Horeb, the Mount of God, or we know it, and, and it is often referred to in Scripture as Mount Sinai. And last week, we uh, took a look at the Ten Commandments. And I didn't get into this uh, in really great detail, but the Ten Commandments represent the basis of God's covenant with his people. That is, his official agreement with his people, right? Their agreement was, I've chosen you to be my people. If you're going to participate in that, then you need to keep these stipulations to this agreement, this covenant. Well, we enter into covenants all the time. If you're married, you're in a covenant. Uh, if you've purchased a car and you're paying payments, you're in a contract. That's a covenant, okay? If you have a mortgage on your house, you have a contract. That's a covenant. What happens if you don't pay the payments on your house? Yeah, they come and take it back, all right? I was leasing my truck 
and uh, I found out that I have equity in my truck. And also, this is a really horrible time to try to buy a vehicle or a house, by the way. And so I went ahead and turned around and got a loan through uh, a bank and bought my truck. And then I was going to go. I was going to turn right back around and sell it. But I've been shopping around, and you know what? There's just ah, my goodness. Dealerships want to charge three, four, five thousand dollars over the sticker price on their vehicles. I'm not going to do that. I'm sorry. I'm not. I like my truck. It's just a truck, and trucks don't get great gas mileage. So I would love to get something that gets better gas mileage, but I'm sticking with it. All that to say, those are all covenants. They're all contracts. They have stipulations. You sign a lease. You sign uh, a loan document, a mortgage document, and so forth. When the people said to God, we will do what you say, we agree, we will obey these Ten Commandments, then they were saying, we want to be in this covenant relationship with you, God, and we'll do what you say. But they promptly broke those Ten Commandments. Um, in fact, before Moses could even get down and lay them out very, very carefully, they broke the one commandment that they knew, and that was that they shouldn't be worshiping other gods, that they shouldn't be trying to raise up idols, and that's exactly what they did. Moses was up on, the, on Mount Sinai for 40 days. Now, if you've ever done Lent, you know that 40 days is quite a while. And the people, you know, they were very impatient anyway. They were grumbling. They were complaining. They were quarreling. Um, and they consistently wanted to go back to Egypt. It's crazy. They were slaves in Egypt, and they still wanted to go back to Egypt. Uh, as the, uh, Peter writes uh, in Scripture, and he's quoting Proverbs, it's like a dog that goes back to its vomit. Have you ever had a dog do that? It's gross. Like they throw up and then they lick it up? That's gross, but then they come and lick you. That's really gross. In the face, with vomit breath. It's disgusting, okay? Like a dog that goes back to its vomit. Man, when you get that stuff out of you, clean it up and get it away, right? Well, this is what the people wanted to do. They wanted to be like a dog that goes back to its vomit, like a pig that goes back to, to the mud hole. And uh, again and again, uh, God was patient with them. And we may get into this incident at the foot of Mount Sinai in more detail uh, next week. I'm still praying about what we're going to look at next week. Um, but you need to understand that the passage of Scripture we're going to look at today from the Holy History connects what happened with the people of Israel, and more specifically, what happened with Moses with today, which is Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. And uh, you'll, you'll see that connection, I think, very, very quickly. Um, so, I titled the message today, Go With God, or Vaya Con Dios, right? And there's a couple of uh, passages uh, um, that uh, I want to look at. One of them, the main passage from Holy History, is in Exodus 33. But I want to ask you this question, okay? Go with God. That's different than saying, God, go with you, isn't it? Isn't it? Okay. So, in Spanish, what does adios mean? Goodbye. Do you know what it comes from, though? So, vaya con Dios, go with God. A Dios to God. I'm commending you to God. Right? Now, a Spanish speaker is not going to think that in their head. They're going to think, well, it just means goodbye. They're equivalent to goodbye. But do you know what goodbye means? You're wishing someone a good journey, a good bye, a good way. Right? I want you to understand that these things developed at a time when these people were far more pious than we are, right? When their language was being developed, they wanted to, to 
commend the person that was going to God. I give you to God. As you leave, I give you to God. Right? I love that. That's really awesome. And that's kind of like saying, God be with you. God go with you. God bless you as you go. But that's not what vaya con Dios means, or at least that's not what it means as I'm applying it here from Scripture. It means you go with God. Who's in the lead then? Who's in the lead? God's in the lead. There's a difference between, between saying, God, go with you. Who's in the lead there? Oh, I am. I'm making the decisions, and you know, I'm going here and doing what I want to do, and, and I want to get God on me. I want to get God to bless me. Okay? But what we really need in our lives is the kind of relationship with God where we are submissive to him, where, where we are paying attention to him, and where we are following him as he leads because he is leading, he is speaking, he is giving us direction, he does offer us promises. So on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came upon the people and empowered them, anointed them, and began to give them direction in their lives in a way that previously was only available to very, very special people like prophets, right? In the Old Testament, prophets had the Spirit of God come upon them and give them power and speak to them and through them, but there was no abiding presence with them, right? The Holy Spirit wasn't living with them. But at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit not only comes upon them for this brief period of time, but he comes to dwell with them and dwell within them. That's the kind of relationship that you can have with God if you call on the name of Jesus to be saved, it doesn't stop there with you just having your fire insurance so that you can go to heaven when you die. You call on the name of the Lord to be saved, and you open your heart, and you receive the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. He brings Christ in you, the hope of glory, and that is who leads you. So I want you to see that what we're about to read in the Holy History is something that can be a part of your life right now. Because of Jesus' death and resurrection, believers, if you're a believer in Jesus, have unrestricted, unrestricted access to the presence of God. That is not something that was offered to these people. As a matter of fact, what we find, and I didn't read the whole passage last week, but you can go back and read it in Exodus chapter 19. God was up on top of the mountain. He beckoned Moses, he said, Come up here to me, right? There was this cloud. There were these trumpets. It was very scary. The people said to Moses, you speak to us. If God speaks to us, we're going to die. God told them specifically he was so holy, and he is so holy. He told them, if you know, draw a boundary around the mountain. If anybody crosses that boundary, they'll be shot with an arrow. They're going to die. You're not going to just come up here and approach me with all of your sinfulness. And so that is why prior to Jesus' death and resurrection, there was an extreme limitation to how close anybody could get to God because God is transcendent. He's above us. He's holy. He's utterly otherly. And we just have this idea that God's just, you know, uh, the grand old man in heaven sitting in a rocking chair like these two that we have up here. And, you know, we sin and he's like, oh, don't worry about it, young person. That's okay. It's not a problem with me. I'm God, and I don't mind. I don't mind at all. Oh, you humans, you know, to be human is frail, and I understand it. You know, all humans. We got God is like a daughter up there that doesn't know what's going on. 
There are politicians like that, but no names will be mentioned at this time. Right? But that's not God. He was always actively involved with his people, but God's holiness precluded him from being present in everybody's life. Until when? Until Jesus died on that cross. And that gave us unrestricted access to Almighty God because it opened the throne room, the, the curtain, the veil of the temple that separated the Holy of Holies from the holy place in the temple was torn from top to bottom when Jesus died on the cross. And that symbolizes the fact that this unrestricted access was given to us. Now we're told in Hebrews chapter 10 that we can approach the throne of God boldly. Now that's not because you have anything going on that God wants. It's because of his son. It's because of Jesus. But see, if you don't have Jesus, you don't have that right. You don't have that authority. Maybe you feel like you're praying and God's not listening. Well, it may be that you have yet to let Jesus be your, be your Lord, be your master, okay? And so your prayers are just going up in the air and falling back down to the ground. Jesus has done everything that God wants. Jesus has satisfied the righteousness and the holiness of God. Therefore, this is you. If you are in Christ, then you have satisfied that holiness. You have been given unrestricted access. And as the result, you can receive the Holy Spirit, right? So prior to the resurrection of Christ, the Spirit came upon those whom he chose to empower, right? Uh, he would empower them for a purpose, but he didn't live with anyone. And Jesus changed all of that. Listen to what Jesus said in John 7, 38 and 39, where he was predicting this. He said, the one who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. This is one of the passages where we get our name, life well. But this he said, now this is the explanation of uh, the apostle John. But this he said in reference to the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Well, this is in John chapter 7. This is while Jesus was still walking around on earth. But now we're on the other side of Christ's death and resurrection. So we have the capability, if we choose to put faith in Christ, to have the Holy Spirit dwelling within us and leading us. And we can vaya con Dios moment by moment throughout the day. Well, that's what Moses wanted. See, the people had sinned at the foot of the mountain. And if you ever saw the old uh, Ten Commandments movie with Charlton Heston, he comes down and the people are dancing around, cavorting around, you know, this horrible, gross party that they're doing. And Moses has got the two, you know, tablets in his hands and he throws them to the ground. And he's so angry because he sees that the people have already forsaken God. Well, that, you know, that was the Hollywood version, but that literally happened. Moses threw those Ten Commandments down to the ground, and then they had, uh, they had made a calf idol. And they said, this is going to lead us back to, back to Egypt, right? And so Moses ground that calf idol into powder. It, it had been made of gold, poured it in the water, and made them drink it. <laughs> no joke. That's what he did, okay? He was like, no, this is not what you're going to do. And a bunch of them died because they were just... It, run them up. They were in complete rebellion against God. So Moses went back up the mountain, and when he went back up the mountain, God said, I'm not going to go with you. Okay? He'd already given them the goal. Going all the way back to Abraham, he told Abraham, the land you're in, and that was the land of Canaan, which became Israel, and is Israel today. 
right? Although the boundaries where Israel lives are very, very small compared to what they were. Um, that land was promised going all the way back thousands of years, uh, even it was a thousand years before Moses, that promise had been made to Abraham that he was going to give them that land. When Jacob brought his family, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, that's why we call them the children of Israel, the house of Israel. When he brought them, uh, because Joseph invited them to Egypt, they still had that promise open to them that they would return to that land. So God told Moses, I'm going to have you bring the people back to Mount Sinai, and then I'm going to send you to the land of Canaan where you are going to take that land and make it your home. So they knew what their goal was. They weren't wandering around in the desert not knowing where they were going to go. They had a goal to go to Mount Sinai and meet with God there, establish the covenant, and then they had a goal to go to Canaan, cross the Jordan River and take Canaan and make it their land. That was the goal. That's because God promised that to them. God has promises for you. You see... We set our own goals all the time. And then we say, God, come with me. God, bless me. This is my goal. This is what I want. And God, I want you to give it to me. And God says, I have something so much better for you. Now, he may give you what you ask for. He may have stirred that up in your heart and your spirit. And you may ask for something and find that that is the will of the Lord. But I invite you, rather than setting your own goals and chasing them, right, pursuing your passion, as people like to say, to place it before the Lord and pray about it. Stop telling your children that they can be whatever they want to be. The reason why we have a bunch of uh, young people who are very, very discouraged right now, who are really tempted to turn our country into a socialist country is because they were told that and they found that they can't have that. They can't be whatever they want to be. Not everybody can be a Steph Curry. You just can't, okay? Not everybody can sing like Rachel and Ronnie up here. And by the way, they were on point today, were they not? My goodness, you know? Not everybody can play the guitar like Dean. I mean, I tried. I mean, before I knew Dean, anyway, okay? I took guitar when I was in high school, and I'm still terrible at it. I just really am. You know, but I, you know, I, I watch these people that can do these things and I think, oh, that'd be so cool if I could do that. But see, the thing is, you can ask God for these things. And when you're younger, I encourage you to let kids seek. I have them take music lessons, have them do dance and karate and, and, and you know, gymnastics and art and all these things because they don't know. The only way that you're going to find out is to pray as you do. Amen. Ask and seek and knock. So you pray, you, you place it before the Lord, and then you seek, right? And then you knock, you try, you try. This is a part of what college should be. College should be, and you don't have to go to college for this to happen, but college should be a time of discovering what you're supposed to do, not just validating some previously determined choice, okay? So we want to know what God's will is, and we want to go with God. We want to get in on what God is doing, not get God in on what we're doing. Amen? That's what you want. It doesn't matter where you are in your journey. You may be starting out, you may be retired, right? Or you may be somewhere in the middle. God has a purpose for you right now, and you need to discover what that is. And it is an exciting process 
to be involved with God and discover what he has for you at this point in your journey, right? That's what it means. So God tells Moses, listen, if I were to go with you, these people are so rebellious and idolatrous, I would destroy them along the way, okay? But Moses said, I don't want to leave this mountain if you don't go with us. God said, I'll send an angel with you. The angel will lead you, okay? Now, God wouldn't do that, I'm sorry. Um, but nonetheless, he said, I'm, I'm not going with you. But listen, Moses interceded for the people on a number of occasions, and because of that, he preserved them. Although, as we're going to find out, this first generation, these, re these released slaves, these redeemed slaves from Egypt, all ended up dying in the desert because they refused to go in and take the promise. There are people like that today. This is verse 12 of Exodus 33. Then Moses said to the Lord, then Moses said to Yahweh, that's God's formal name, and it is written Lord in most of our Bibles. See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me know whom you will send with me, because he had just said, I'll send an angel with you. But who? Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Now, this is why God's listening to Moses, right? Moses is not perfect. Moses killed a guy, right? When God initially called Moses in chapter three of this very same book, Exodus, Moses didn't want to go. Moses said, God, send somebody else. I can't do it. I don't want to do it. And God actually got angry with Moses, right? Got angry with Moses because Moses hadn't circumcised his son. But that doesn't mean that he didn't love Moses. Those of you that have, how many have kids in this room? You ever get angry at your kids? Does that mean you don't love them? No, all right? Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, and you have also found favor in my sight. Verse 13, now then, if I have found favor in your sight in any way, please let me know your ways so that I may know you in order that I might find favor in your sight. So if I found a limited amount of favor, then teach me your ways so that I can be in the dead center middle of your will, so that I can know the fullness of your favor. That's why he's saying, uh, that's what he's saying. Consider too that this nation is your people. Moses said, they're not mine, they're yours. Verse 14, Moses persuaded God. And he said, that is Yahweh said, my presence shall go with you and I will give you rest. Amen? Oh, that's what you want, friend. That's what I want. It doesn't matter how crazy things get out here. If you're going with God, if you have the presence of God in your life, you can be in the middle of some serious turmoil and still be at rest inside. Now, I'm a lousy runner, right? But there are other people that run, Lige runs, okay? Um, but these guys and girls that know how to run long distances learn to relax when they're running. Did you know that? In fact, even sprinters have to be taught to relax. Uh, there's a, a guy that I've been uh, following who is a, uh, he's a sprinter. His name is Matthew Bowling. And he's just phenomenal. He's incredibly fast. Um, you know, I've seen in several of his races, but he's so tense when he runs. He's, his whole body is like this. And several of these coaches have said he can, he can have more speed if he will relax. You see, you can be exerting tremendous effort. You can be trying very, very hard to do something and still be at rest inside, amen? 
you can still be at peace. And that's what God promises you. That's what God promises us. He says, I will go with you. Now, more, more specifically, he says, my presence, right, shall go with you and I will give you rest. Um, so there's, there's no official Hebrew word that is literally presence like our English word, okay? We're, we're translating this word as presence because we understand that that means that God is going to be with him, that is with Moses and with the people of Israel in a manifest way. That is, God is everywhere, right? God is omnipresent, say omnipresent. That means he's everywhere, but that doesn't mean that everybody knows he's there because he doesn't show himself everywhere to everyone. He chooses to reveal himself to people to make himself present. So what is the Hebrew word? You know what it is? Pane. It means face. My face will go with you. Okay? So think about this. I am seeking to be very present with you people here in this room, with those of you that are online. I'm seeking to be present with you, even though I'm not in the room with you, but I'm facing you. My face is, is, is directed towards you, and I'm paying attention. You see, a lot of times, we're not present with the people who are around us because we're distracted with these little things, aren't we? Because we think that this is more important than the people who are right there in front of us because I'm so important. I've got my little device here. No, you need to be present with these people that are in front of you, amen? I really make an effort not to answer phone calls, not to answer texts, and not to peck around on my phone when I'm with someone else, when I'm present with someone, right? When I'm talking with someone. You see, you can be physically in the same room as somebody, but not be facing them. Do you understand that? So what happens? Here I am. I'm seeking to engage you. I'm looking you in the face. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to send energy out to you. I'm trying to deliver this message in a way that will be compelling so you'll listen to it. So what if I just turn around like this? That makes you want to leave, doesn't it? Why would I do that? Right? But we do this to each other. And we do this to God. God is saying, I will be present. I will face you. And you will follow me. So God says, I'm going to be doing this. I'm going to be doing this. I'm going to be doing this. Follow me. And I will give you rest. That's the promise that God was offering Moses and by the Holy Spirit, I believe that's the promise that he is extending to us. Then he, that is Moses, said to him, to God, if your presence doesn't go with us, do not lead us up from here. I wonder, do you have that kind of attitude with God? God, if you're not gonna, if you're not gonna lead me, I don't wanna go. I'm gonna stay right here, right? This is what is behind waiting on the Lord, by the way. It's not laying around and being lazy and doing nothing because God does give us direction. He gives us direction, first of all, through his word here. But if you have the Holy Spirit in you, then he convicts you, he convinces you 
right? He compels you, and he expects you to respond and obey. Trust and obey, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. That's how the old hymn has it, okay? So I need to realize that God is present, and I need to be unwilling to move until God says move. Now, as a church, as an example, we had some issues. One year ago right now, we had some issues in our building here, okay? It looked at that time like the landlords were going to lease it out from under us. It looked at that time like they were going to double our rent. And I brought everybody together, and I said, "You got, I don't know what we're going to do here. But see, God hasn't, there's a problem here. There's a challenge here, but God hasn't shown me any other place to go. See, this is the problem. We just get, we, we face a problem, we face an obstacle, and instead of seeking God and saying, God, I want you to remove this obstacle like, uh, you know, Jesus said, if you have faith uh, as a mustard seed, you can say this mountain, be taken up and thrown in the sea, and it will obey you, Okay. God, I want you to remove this obstacle. Or God, I want you to teach me what I need to do to get over this obstacle or around this obstacle. You know what we do? Well, I just guess I'll go back. Let's go back to Egypt. This is too hard. This is too hard. I don't want to do this. This, is, this desert is too hot. There's no food and there's no water. And it's no fun, Right? I want to go back to Egypt where we sit beside the Nile with pots of meat. Who cares if we're slaves? At least we have full bellies. That's, what they, that's where these people were. And God said, no, I'm going to go with you. And if you put your faith in Jesus and open your heart to the Holy Spirit, you're going to find that he's going to lead you, right? Jesus said, as you go into the world, because you're going to go, you're going to put one foot in front of the other. We're a traveling people. We're a moving people. That's why we're having so many problems with these high gas prices, isn't it? Oh, my goodness, y'all. So I get my gas over at Sam's Club, right? I've got the little card. And it's, I shouldn't tell you this because you'll go. The lines are already really long. Oh, don't go there. You don't want to go there. Go somewhere else. I had to wait this long line to get gas. Okay, and it's, you probably paid more than this. I paid $4.24 yesterday. That's cheap compared to some of these places. Even QT up the street up here, it's like $4.59 or something now. But I paid almost $90 to fill up my truck. Holy simoleons. I want to go somewhere. I'd like to, they're going to tear up this street over here, right? And so my office is up there, and I'm up there all the time. And I'm thinking, I'd like to go on, I'll be here Sundays, but I'd like to go on a you know, little vacation while they're tearing this up. I can't afford it. How am I going to do that? It's ridiculous. We're moving people, right? We're very mobile people. Now, I probably have it uh, easier than a lot of you. Some of you have to travel much further than I do to go to work. I work here. I live in downtown. So I'm right here. That's why my truck doesn't even have 25,000 miles on it, and it's three years old, right? Because mainly I use my truck to go to the gym and go to the mall and eat. That's pretty much what I do. Um, but we're moving people. We're not really, we're not meant to stay still, okay? It kind of reminds me of, uh, uh, of a shark. Do you know anything about sharks? 
They always have shark week, so you know you might have seen that. Do you know sharks have to constantly move in order to breathe? They can't stop. The way their, their gills are structured, they have to constantly be moving to push water through those gills. They can't stop. They have to constantly move. I don't know how they sleep. Can you imagine? I guess sharks swim in their sleep, basically. All right? I used to walk in my sleep when I was a little kid. My mom said that I used to walk out in the snow and they were like scared to death and so they tried to lock the door and all this. I was a crazy baby, right? But we're moving people, all right? Well, God knows that. You, you need to be goal-directed. You need to be moving. When you stop moving, you're not a shark, but when you stop moving, you start dying, all right? I, I mean, I've seen this with older people. Miss Mary's worked with older people and she can verify this with me. Uh, sometimes older people just get to the place and they just don't want to move anymore. They just plant it right there in the chair or in the bed, and the clock starts ticking. When they stop moving, that's when they start. You're supposed to move. The question is, what direction are you supposed to take? And the answer is, vaya con Dios, right? You're supposed to go with God. You're supposed to move with the Lord, okay? So that's what Moses was telling God. I, I, want, I want to go with you, and if you're not going to go from this mountain, then I don't want to go from this mountain, all right? Verse 17, Yahweh said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. Man, that's awesome. Now, I won't read the end of that because Moses wanted to get even closer to God. He wanted to see God. He wanted to see God in a more tangible face-to-face -face way. And God said, no, you can't get that close, right? Nobody can see my actual face and live. Wow, that's holy, okay? But because of Jesus, we have this, uh, this awesome opportunity to be in the presence of God. And that's why I, I, wish, I wish more of us would pay more attention when we're doing the musical part of our worship because it's a real opportunity for you to enter in. And oftentimes I'm distracted and I'm trying to make all the pieces move back here and you know say this and say that, but I can sense the Holy Spirit in this room, Right? And it's your opportunity when you come to corporate worship like this and when we have such a fantastic, marvelous band like we have to, to enter into the presence of God and to, to have that, that presence manifest itself in a very uh, palpable way, right? You can, you can sense his spirit, right? Um, the Holy Spirit is called the paraclete. That's the Greek word. Um, and it means counselor or comforter or guide, or helper. Here's a passage from John chapter 14, which by the way, if you want to read a lot about the Holy Spirit, read John 14 and John 16, and Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit a little bit in John 15 as well. So 14, 15, and 16 would be a good assignment for you. But here's a verse out of chapter 14. Jesus said, the helper is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. You see, He's not present to the world. He doesn't face the world because they're not paying attention to him. They haven't chosen to put their faith in Jesus. But you know him because he remains with you. That's with them at that time before Jesus rose. This is the last supper table. And then he says, and we'll be in you. Well, that is the significance of Pentecost is that the spirit came upon those disciples and permanently resides with all of us 
who choose to allow Christ to come into us. Listen, this is not some sort of a, a you know church thing for you know, just really devout people or maybe only for certain kinds of church people. Well, that's for those Pentecostals. That's why they're called Pentecostal, right? That's for those charismatics. I, I don't do that. I just try to keep the commandments. I just try to keep my nose clean. See, that's the problem. The covenant that we have with God is not just about keeping commandments. That doesn't mean that you and I don't need to be holy. That doesn't mean that we don't need to obey Jesus. We do. But what happens with you and I is rather than having external commandments out here on tablets of stone, we have a covenant with God where his spirit enters our heart and he writes his rules on our heart. You do what you're supposed to do because that's who you are. God changes your nature. And if it's not your nature to do what God wants, then maybe you're not saved yet. Call upon the name of the Lord, open your heart to him, and he will. But the Spirit of God is called the what spirit? The blank spirit. What's the first word? Holy Spirit, who enters you and makes you holy. So the word Christian is only used a couple of times in the New Testament. We often call ourselves Christians, which is fine. Uh, it, it was a term that was developed because the people just talked about Christus, 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 Christ all the time. They, they, those Christians, right? That's all they talk about. They're obsessed with Jesus, right? But do you know what Christians are called more often in the New Testament? Hagiadzun. You know what that means? Saints. That's a holy one. You're made holy because the spirit of the Holy One comes into you and makes you holy. He changes your fundamental nature from being a worldly person obsessed with yourself, your flesh, to being a person that is obsessed with Jesus and doing the will of God. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane said to God, you know, I don't want to die. I don't want to go through all this pain and suffering. Yet not what I will, but what you will be done. And that needs to be the heart cry of all of us. And when the Holy Spirit lives in us, then that is what we want. That doesn't mean you don't stumble. That doesn't mean you don't make mistakes. But the Holy Spirit writes the law of God. So I think that it is appropriate that the Jewish people down to our day celebrate the coming of the law on this day, on Pentecost, the Feast of Weeks. Okay, It was a, 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 a harvest celebration, but they looked at the scripture and they said, you know what, that's right when the people got to Mount Sinai and received the law. I think it's very appropriate that God gave his Holy Spirit to write the law on all of our hearts on that very day when the giving of the law was celebrated. You see, I, I preached on the Ten Commandments last week, but if I have the, the Spirit of God living in me, I don't have to have a commandment that tells me not to worship any other gods. There are no other gods. I don't want to have anything to do with all these false gods. I'm not going to make an idol. I'm not going to misuse the name of the Lord. I honor his name, right? I'm going to be in church when God's people gather to worship and to rest in him. That's Sunday, the Sabbath. I'm going to honor my father and mother. I'm not going to kill. Not only that, I'm, not, I'm, I'm going to seek not even to be angry with someone so that I end up in a situation where I would want to hurt them. I'm not going to uh, want somebody else's spouse, okay? 
Um, I'm not going to steal. I'm not going to lie about somebody else, give false testimony about them. I'm not going to want what other people have because I have everything I need in Jesus. Amen? That's the 10. It's really simple. If you love God with all you are and you love your neighbor as yourself, you are keeping the 10. And if you have the Spirit of God in you, then you're going to be a new person in Christ. That's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to get into 2 Corinthians in a couple of weeks. Uh, we just, we're almost done with 1 Corinthians in my Wednesday Bible study. We'll finish chapter 16 uh, this week. At least that's my plan, and we'll get into 2 Corinthians. But 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, If anyone is in Christ, if you are anyone, raise your hand. Yeah, that's, that's all of you. You're in anyone, okay? Even you, Roy. Roy won't raise his hand. He doesn't think he's anyone. Roy, you're someone. Roy, you're special. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are coming. You are a new creation in Christ. You have a new nature. Your conscience is going to be led by the Holy Spirit, and you're going to follow him, right? So what is our responsibility as believers who are going to go with God? Well, here's a couple of, of scriptures from Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, 16, the Apostle Paul says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the desire of the flesh. The flesh is not my skin. The flesh is me without God, right? Now, my flesh is still down there, right? There are still things that I want that I know I shouldn't want, and the only way to escape that is to walk by the Spirit. That means he's walking alongside me. You see, rather than being in front of me and doing this, like I said earlier, the Holy Spirit is the paraclete. He's the one that is called alongside us, and he's leading us like this. Isn't that awesome? He's leading you like this. He's, he's next to you, leading you, talking to you, counseling you, comforting you, guiding you. Walk by the Spirit. Walk beside the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then uh, Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit as well. It's just that simple. If I say I'm a Christian, I follow the Holy Spirit's lead as he guides me uh, from the inside. Now, when we refuse the Spirit's direction and we go on willfully in our own separate will apart from God, we grieve him. We make him very, very sad. We also reap destruction from our sinful nature. Listen to what it says in Ephesians 4.30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And then Galatians 6.8. For the one who sows to his own flesh will reap destruction from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So, my friend, go with God. Vaya con Dios. Your plans are worthless. They're useless. They're pointless apart from God. Amen?